Welcome back, everybody. It's Hump Day. Hump Day. Happy is Hump Day. <laughs> we return for Wednesday. Our episodes being in this episode, we are in separate locations. Yes. So once again, we are back to our quarantine recording style. Yes. In the words <laughs> and, of the great uh, Habib, send me location. <laughs> Today, episode 29 of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. And today's episode, Dom, is a little extra special. A little bit. I must say, a little okay. extra special. Well, let me tell you why. Because today, we are going to be reviewing slash recapping um, the four-part documentary or four-part miniseries that ESPN Plus put out along with the UFC called uh, Fight Island Declassified. Yes, a very good four-part docu-series. Yeah, so this docu-series was essentially... Um, what's the word? It was essentially brought together kind of out of nowhere. Like, we hadn't really heard much about it. Then, boom, it's like, here's a four-part documentary about everything to do with Fight Island and getting it set up. It was like, oh, shit. Like, I figured that someday we'd get something like this, but I didn't expect it to be while we're still kind of in the middle of this pandemic and everything like that. For sure. So, I think I made a mistake when I was talking about this in a previous episode, it's actually only on ESPN Plus, not UFC Fight Fight Pass. Oh, really? So I wanted to, I I couldn't I didn't see it on Fight Pass. Um, you could always anybody could go and look, but I believe it's just ESPN Plus. So I wanted to offer that correction for anybody who's um, you know maybe waiting for this episode to decide if they want to watch it or not. ESPN. PM Plus is probably the one that more people would have anyways, so... Yeah, true. Um, that, that's helpful. Really, the way this is going to work, um, we're just going to kind of talk about our thoughts on the, the series, kind of hit the big points. So if you're someone that doesn't want to be, I guess, spoiled, even though this is all stuff that's real and happened... Yeah. Um, there are some things in here that I would say wasn't common knowledge... Um, so I guess if you're not, if you're someone that doesn't want to hear like in detail about these, uh, um, we both recommend it highly. Yes, for sure. Hello. Did we lose you? Uh, oh, we may have just lost Noah, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to give it a second. I'm going to give it a second. Dom, did I lose you? Well, yeah, you're back. Okay, did, uh, did, where I cut off at? Um, uh, uh, about spoilers. <laughs> well, okay. Basically, what I'm saying is we both highly recommend it. Go watch it. If you don't want to be, I guess, spoiled anything... Go watch it and then come back to this episode. Right. And you can follow along with us and compare your thoughts to our thoughts and we can have a conversation in the comments section. Yes. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. So, Dom, you do have a few notes. Am I correct? Uh, um, uh, in my head. The notepad okay. didn't come to play as much as I would have anticipated or hoped. Well, 
you know, I know when you watched it the first time, you weren't just doodling notes the whole time. Right. Uh, but you were telling me today you were going to go back and try to make a few. I didn't think it was a bad idea at all because ultimately we're just going to kind of talk about it. We were going to do episode by episode, but I think we're going to have a hard time sticking to those parameters as we just are going to want to talk on what's on our mind. Yeah, and they kind of... So if we miss... Like, they kind of go from episode to, like, some details in one episode or in another, so it's probably just better to hit, yeah. like, the main points of what is covered, I suppose. Yeah. But I guess we'll just start with your general thoughts on the, um, like, I guess just the series as a whole. Just what were your thoughts? Um, did you feel like it was a good move releasing it while really... The, the story of Fight Island is not really over. Right. You know, it's still ongoing, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, and then we can get into more in-depth. Yeah, I think, as a whole, the series is incredible. Again, it's only four episodes, uh, 40-ish minutes each one, so definitely an easy watch. I watched, I like binge-watched it, basically, in one afternoon. Um, it really does a good job, as you like to say, um, of painting the picture of all of the behind the scenes and kind of what had to go into this entire process. And it's really mind boggling and we'll get into kind of the nitty gritty of it. But as a whole, I think it did a really good job of that summarizing it all up. Um, they followed athletes throughout some big names, some smaller names. So I thought they did a good job of tying those stories in just kind of giving you the life of not only the personnel and staff of the UFC during this crazy accomplishment that they pulled off, but the life and the traveling and the stress of all the fighters and the commentators and trainers. Um, I just think they did a really good job of putting that out on full display here with a vast variety of different people. And I think that's what made it so interesting and so... Um, in depth and like even emotional at times to me i felt emotional watching this so i really don't think they could have done a better job in terms of putting this together um being that they released it already i was a little surprised i think maybe waiting until this second stint is over after habib and gaichi would have made more sense but i just think there's so much hype around fight island right now there's necessarily not a bad time to release it. So maybe their thought process was, you know, okay, we're right smack dab in the middle of our second leg, so let's just throw it all out there. People can watch it, and then, you know, for example, this came out prior to last weekend's fight, so they watch the doc, and then they see Sanhagen and Marais, or they watch it this week, then they see Ortega and Zombie, or they watch it next week and see Habib and Gaethje. So really there's not a bad time for it. Um, I'm just glad that they put it together regardless, and it's it really is a, a great documentary. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with your thoughts there. Um, I think kind of what the concept you're looking for when it comes to, like, why they would release it now is they're capitalizing on the momentum that Fight Island still has. Yes. Ultimately, the more often they go back, I guess the less special it'll be. I mean, I think it's kind of synonymous with the UFC brand at this point. It's a huge part of it. Um, it was very helpful, I would say, in the pay-per-view buys for UFC 251. Um, just garnering that hype. Obviously, uh, their merch sales 
are well over what it, they were for all of 2019. Yeah, so guilty. Fight Island had a huge, had pretty much all the part in that. Yes. So, um, definitely trying to capitalize on that. I will say, what I thought this documentary was going to be is I thought it was going to focus simply on that first event, UFC 251. Right. So I was a little surprised that it also focused on the first fight night that came after, right? That was the first one. Yeah, I mean, it was essentially kind of just their first leg there. Like, it didn't go in-depth on every one of them, but it kind of just covered that whole first, you know, that July time frame. Yeah, I mean, it went in-depth on Benavidez versus Figueredo. That was the headliner of the fight night for the flyweight belt. Makes sense to do that. It's just... I think once they started focusing on some of these other cards that happened on that first leg, it was to me a little bit more like, hmm, maybe they should have just waited a little bit longer. Like, it almost seems like they're, um, not the sound, I don't want to be like too negative because again, I love it. I think it's great. I'm just trying to offer some sort of um, area of improvement, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> but, I guess um, I feel like it came off like they were high-fiving each other, like for what they did, even though really the book isn't done being wrote on it yet. Like it's kind of a risky move because for all we know, somehow down the line, Fight Island could end up being kind of a disaster depending on obviously everything with COVID going on so unpredictable. for all we know, the deal with Abu Dhabi could end up being a complete mess. Uh, there's a lot that could just go wrong. I don't think it will, but I think just it's a risky move to be like high-fiving each other and being like, look at what we did when they're still doing it and the, the, like, the pandemic's not over. It's not like we've, it's not like, you know, we're White Island cured Corona. So, it's it's uh, a bold move, I would say, but I, I still am glad that we got it. Um, I'm glad that I got to be able to watch it kind of in this time frame. Like, it's nice to see a big behind-the-scenes look at things that I had no idea before. That was really the most revealing take. I thought it would be like, sure, they would show behind the scenes, but it would not necessarily reveal anything we didn't know before. Right. However, there was some huge reveals yeah, in there. Yeah, there was a lot of big reveals that we never even heard a peep, not even a rumor of, that they released on this, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I agreed. And I guess with that, we'll kind of start uh, kind of at the beginning of this whole process, um, which does happen in episode one. <laughs> But essentially, um, the documentary starts with kind of going over all the news stories with the COVID started, the NBA season shutting down, March Madness is not happening this year, baseball is um, pushed back their start date, the NFL is is suggesting doing it, a lot of college athletics have completely shut down, um, a very dire time to be a sports fan. Yeah, it gave me chills when they're playing back all those clips from the news and sports center and stuff cuz it like it felt like it was forever ago 
when all this happened, when realistically, like, we're in October, this all happened seven months ago, and it just, when I was watching, I'm like, man, this feels like it was ten years ago, and we're looking back on a big story, but like, no, we're, not only is it just seven months ago, but we're kind of still living in it, so it was really just chilling to kind of see those clips of when everything really started to hit the fan. Yeah, I completely agree, and um, this episode, I think Dana White's definitely the star of it. Yeah. Uh, especially once it's showing him, talking about how he's not going to lay off a single employee. Um, he's going to try to make sure that we can they can still put on fights. In a, like, from day one, he basically was like, okay, I don't need to know, like, how long we're going to be out. I need to know, like how we're going to do this correctly. Yeah. Like from day one, he wasn't talking about, you know, shutting down for six months or. Yeah. There was no, no break in that man's brain. It it, it doesn't function that way. And to the credit of this documentary, it shows some of the backlash from that. Now, obviously this being the UFC's documentary, they, they side with Dana on kind of that classic, that whole debate about, you know, was Dana being greedy by really pushing this out? You know, was he being greedy in that? Was he putting his fighters' lives at risk, his um, employees' lives at risk by, like, for the sake of money? And I think in the documentary he even says, he goes, that's the biggest piece of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I think he even was like, let me shut that down first things first. It was like It was one of the very first, like, uh, talking heads he had of the documentary. And I'm sure the UFC has made a lot of money this year. Like, they had a great year. But you have to, when you really think about it, like, you know, is it really, like, I don't know, is it, I'm trying to think of the word. Like, are they really making that much? Like, I, there's no way they made more dollar amount than they did when they were able to have fans and, stadiums and whatnot yeah i'd have to imagine that makes a large part yeah i'd imagine they um being that this company is so just successful and like so business oriented and like do a lot of things a lot of firsts and a lot of eyes on it i think that they're kind of always profitable in a sense but this year they they necessarily they aren't like in the red or losing money but they're not getting as much revenue, hence no live gate. I think very early early on during all this, Dan even mentioned it's somewhere in the realm of like 110 or more million dollars a year just off of live gate alone, which, you know, obviously that's a big chunk of change. So it's just, um, it's really crazy to see, you see like kind of how they operate their business in the day to day, like no bullshit straight into the point, fast-paced, they get the job done, and they painted a good picture of that as well, I thought, in the first episode. And uh, uh, what was Hunter's last name? Oh, uh, Hunter Campbell, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Hunter Campbell. He is the, like, CEO. Yeah, he's one of those. He's the CFO, the COO, the CEO. He's one of those. (laughs) I think he's the CEO. He's, um, I believe... When the UFC got bought by, I forget what the name of that uh, entertainment firm is now, but um, I believe SME, I think, or something like that. 
Uh, they've changed their name, so it's hard for me to remember. Yeah. Um, but when Z- Zufa got bought into this company, um, I believe he's one of, like, I believe he's from that company. Yeah. So now he's like the CEO of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Yeah, he is. Um, he the... was also someone who I think was like a big star in this episode. Yeah, he he played a I, big factor. Um, I think uh, the the reputation, at least for me, that you know was that the people that you see on screen for the UFC and like you know Sean Shelby, those guys, kind of behind the scenes, those are the ones that really care about the product and kind of the uh, the ownership group behind the UFC aren't necessarily involved and they don't really care about it. They just care about if it's making a profit. Um. He Hunter Campbell, man, he he showed like quite a bit about what how he feels about this operation. He he, he came off as how passionate a, he was. Yeah, he came off as a badass businessman. Uh, I'm actually looking yeah. at his LinkedIn profile right now. <laughs> um, he is officially the executive vice president and the chief business officer of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So okay. quite gotcha. the position positions with yeah. an s as a matter yeah. of fact yeah so very impressive resume for that guy but he um he was someone i had never even heard of before this truthfully i may have heard dana say something about hunter hunter or something in the past but right it never to this extent that we'd see him on screen and he came he came off like a guy who was like no bullshit yeah he's like he also wants to see the. He wants to give the people the fights they want to see. Yeah. And if anything, he kind of showed me he might even be willing to do it more so than Dana when it comes to opening up his personal checkbook. Because we'll get into that later. But his uh, he's a big reason why uh, Mosbidal replaced Gilbert Burns in the title fight for Fight Island. Right. So definitely a guy that you can thank for that card right there. Um, I guess the rest of episode one, it's really a lot of setup. You know, it's setting up this whole thing happening. So they talk about how, I believe they even kind of admitted when Dana said, had that interview with Brett Okamoto where he mentioned that he had secured an island. They hadn't even actually secured the island yet. Right. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. I believe that's what they said is that they were looking at a bunch of them, but then once they settled in on Yas Island and Abu Dhabi. Um, they said there was basically no other choice to be made there. They said that they had Mike Tyson reach out to him to put him in contact with um, some prime minister or something from a foreign country. Yeah. Uh, so they, you know, they had a lot of people trying to help them out and getting this kind of deal secured. And it made a lot of sense with the UFC's previous dealings with Abu Dhabi, but that's yeah. where it ended up being. Yeah, it was still interesting to see that they did have a lot of options. Yeah, and they did a good job. I mean, throughout the entire series, but that episode one was kind of that backbone operations, getting everything set up, and they did a good job of showing the partnership with Abu Dhabi and Yas Island as well, showing you know their director of the marketing. Um, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but you'll know if you see the episode. Um, but the people in charge from Abu Dhabi's standpoint working with the UFC and vice versa. They really did a good job of showing the relationship they have, the trust that they have. And uh, there's a lot of money on the line here. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's families and lives and just brand. And there's so much on the line. And so for two 
you know, organizations, or I guess an organization in a country really as a whole to be able to partner like this and truly believe that they can get the job done and do basically the impossible at, at that time, you know, first sport back. It was really cool. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, did you have any final thoughts kind of on that episode one time frame to lead up essentially? Um, no, just a really a lot oh, of badass, really good. Badass speech from Dana White yes. uh, when he was addressing um, basically, and there's multiple of those in here. There's the part where he's doing the fighters meeting before 251, which yep. this will kind of lead us into episode two talking, but um there's the part like where he goes into the fighters meeting and he's like no cameras but his microphone's still on yeah he gets here and be like i don't care if you're the main event or the first fight of the fight of the prelims he's like you're making history by being here and stuff yeah. like that and i'm like damn that's why people people will do business with that man no matter how, i mean you sure he's rubbed people the wrong way he's said some things he shouldn't have but when you can motivate and inspire a group like the way that man can, like people will do business with you, you will be successful. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of skill skip right there. But in episode one, he also kind of was like, I'm not laying off a single employee. Yes. He's like, none of you are losing your jobs. Like, go home. We will figure this out. And uh, they did. Yeah. Really. I, so, it's... like, shout out to him for having that vision because I, I, for me, when I was in quarantine, I can speak for myself in saying that it did not, <laughs> the, the, the future looked somewhat bleak at times. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, did you have any final thoughts on episode one? No, again, just really good at painting that story from right when COVID hit, um, and then a lot of just backbone operations, seeing what went on to even secure the island and get to the island. Yeah, so did you want to take over for episode two, maybe just kind of setting it up? Yeah, so kind of in episode two is where we see them start to follow um, a fighter. And uh, it was uh, Jared Flash Gordon. And they did a really good job. Um, this is kind of where they started uh, at the hotel in Vegas. So there were basically four ports um, or hubs that they had fighters from all over the world go to or fly out of to get to fight island um brazil i think one was in russia one was in vegas and i can't remember where the fourth one was it might have been like the uk area or something in europe i'm not 100 percent sure um, but essentially it's just kind of like the process of what goes on the testing so not only do you have to test positive when you get to your hub then you have to quarantine there until you get your results then you have to get on the plane and fly to Abu Dhabi, test again, and then you have to quarantine again in Yas Island before you can be confirmed to even leave your room. Um, and that's kind of where they did a good job with Paul Felder here, who is a UFC commentator, yeah. UFC fighter. I don't want to like go too off the cuff here, um, but this is where we kind of see they start following uh, characters. I don't want to say characters, it's real people, but... Uh, Paul Felder was a big one. Jared Flash Gordon was another big one. Uh, the two biggest, I think, in this episode, anyway. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it, it, it makes sense, too, that like these two have kind of had the biggest platforms here because they were working directly together, too. Yeah. 
because essentially Jared Gordon's entire corner tested positive. Yep, entire corner. And there's even more about that that we'll get into with them. But <clears throat> Paul Felder, who was on commentary for this card, this was the card after um, 251, so one of the fight nights. Paul Felder was midway through the night, went off commentary to corner Jared Gordon because that was his only training partner that was there, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, basically, for Felder, I, I remember it was like, uh, wasn't it that he, his first test, he was in Vegas. So he got to Vegas, and he was going to fly out of Vegas to Abu Dhabi. It's a 15-hour flight. But then his first test, did it come back positive or was well, it? Well, um, so um, Paul Felder's from Philadelphia. And so he was flying into Vegas uh, for his hub, you know, where you quarantine and test. And Dean Thomas, who is a, a incredible UFC coach or MMA coach, I should say, down in American Top Team, flew with him to Vegas. Well... When they get to Vegas, Dean Thomas tests positive, and they sat together on the plane. Of course, they had masks on and everything, but you can't really take that risk. So once Dean got his results back, they can't let Paul Felder fly out. They can't let him leave, so he has to stay in Vegas an extra five days to quarantine, and I think he has to like test three times, and they all have to show up negative for him to leave. Um, right. So that happens with Paul. He does get cleared, obviously, as we kind of already hinted toward. And then for Jared Flash Gordon, he um, was, I forget where he's from, but his wife and even other family members that he mentions were all positive for COVID. And um, he gets to Vegas and initially tests negative. But he was around Paul Felder as well. So you can really just see all the pieces here. Yeah. But Jared never tests positive in Vegas. He's completely clear. Flies to Abu Dhabi, and I'll pause there just in case you want to fill in any blanks before we get to the Abu Dhabi part with Jared. Yeah. Um, Basically, very somber part of this documentary, probably the most somber part is... Uh, about Jared and his wife. Um, Jared Gordon had a very interesting backstory that I wasn't aware of about mm-hmm. um, a guy who had really just gotten his life together in the last five years. Yeah, he had, he had been through had three drug addict. overdoses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a heroin addict. He had been clean for about five years, I guess, at this point. Um, him and his wife were expecting, or was it his fiance? I think fiance right now, but. Or, yeah. yeah, it was fiance. Whatever it is, uh, his soon-to-be wife, um, they were expecting a baby. They even show a video she put online of, like, anna- like announcing it to him, and they're so happy and excited. Well, she gets corona, and they believe that due to her contracting that virus, it caused her to have a miscarriage. Right. And um, and this is all you know, two weeks pull, before his fight. Yeah. They didn't pull any punches with it either. Like, I wouldn't say it got uncomfortably emotional or anything, because this is an uncomfortable subject, but they paid a lot of respect to them. Uh, They treated it with respect in the documentary. Like, it was treated very nice, like, you know, 
they didn't harp on it for too long. They didn't make it, you know, because ultimately they just want peace. So they mentioned it, talked about how it was affecting them, but they didn't focus on it too much. Right. I think it's a good idea because they're still, it was still a fresh wound at that time. So Jared's got that going on. His whole corner's tested positive. He is able to fly over to Abu Dhabi. Now he's on a charter plane with people like Dana White, Michael Bisping. Yes. Matt Sarah is um, on that plane. Um, other fighters are on there. Um, Megan Levy's on there. Yep. So <laughs> this is the reason why that's important is because once they start doing the test in Abu Dhabi, once they land, um, Jared's comes back positive. Yeah, after all negative li- tests leading up to. Yeah, so... Um, and this is where the most, probably the biggest shock of the whole documentary is revealed. Episode two was amazing. Like, yeah. seriously, that's probably my favorite one if you want to go off of just, like, learning about what this event was like and everything. Um, episode two is probably my favorite. Dana White himself <laughs> was concerned that, was basically told, hey, Jared Gordon just tested positive. Yeah. It shows a picture that they took on the plane. He's standing right next to Jared Gordon. Yeah. And he goes, holy shit. He's like, can you imagine if I tested positive? After all the shit he got leading up to this event, and after all the shit he threw back in the media's face for not, you know, for trying to stop the event from happening, can you imagine the backlash if he had tested positive for coronavirus? And I was like, wow, this whole event yeah. was so close blowing up in their face yeah yeah so it only took one if jared tested positive who knows how many of those individuals on that plane he spread it to and who they would spread it to um there was also john anik was another one who tested positive yep and he was meant to be doing commentary so they had to bring in um that one uh british guys um as like a backup uh goodman yeah uh i forget his first name I think it's John. Um, but Yeah, that might be right. But they had him on standby in case, and Anik has to still go through his day-to-day as if he's working that night, but for all he knows, he's tested positive. Right. Well, guess what? He had direct – well, Michael Bisping also had direct contact with Jared Gordon and probably John Anik. Yeah. So now there's the worry of if Michael Bisping can do commentary. And then Megan O'Leavy's getting – is worried that maybe she won't be able to do her part. So you can see the like the makings of a shit show here. Yeah. And they um, did a very good job tell, at painting it that way, you know. Yes. It it you can tell in this episode how chaotic this time frame was once they actually land in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Because then you have the main event is in question because uh Kamaru Usman, the welterweight champion, has meant to defend his title against the number one contender Gilbert Burns. Burns test positive for COVID uh, less than, uh, I think it was seven days before, it was a week before the card. So, the whole main event's in question. Is it even going to happen? So, there's a lot of question marks there. Luckily, the next day, who comes in? Game Bread. Game Bread Masvidal. Yes, sir. Comes in to save the day, but guess what? His situation isn't for surely going to happen either. He's got to test positive about four times or some five times. Uh, he had to f- fly via private jet 
I believe. And he flew Dhabi. like all over the world. They flew to like four different locations just to get to Yas Island. Like it was crazy. Yeah, yeah it was ridiculous. But all in all, like he's able to get there, able to start his quarantine and everything. So okay, main event is saved. And if anything, it's a bigger main event than it was before. No disrespect to Gilbert Burns. He's earned that title shot, but Masvidal being the biggest star in the UFC. Right. Um, if anything, it was a bigger win for the company. Right. Now they're they're able to figure out, like, they got the main event situation settled, but now you have basically the entire infrastructure of the event, as far as people-wise, is in question. Right. Literally, your whole broadcast team, the president of the damn company, your backstage hands, your crew, like, they're all in question on if they have COVID. They're all having to quarantine, retest, because they were exposed. So I think that was the biggest shock to me, and I think that's going to be most people's, not only the individuals who could have had it, like Dana White, but also just how fragile of an event this was, like how close it was just going off the rails and possibly stopping us from getting any mixed martial arts events for the rest of 2020. Yeah, and in a sport and an organization where we see so many leaks and so many rumors get leaked, fights being leaked early before they're supposed to be announced, none of this ever made it to the public. And I, that blew my mind. So uh, the fact that this was all able to stay under wraps and then be put on full display after the fact was really mind-blowing. Yeah, um, shout-out to really the crew that they have over there because I couldn't imagine going through all this. And now luckily for them, basically nobody tested positive out of that group. Right. Jared's came back negative, which kind of, put the majority at ease. Even John Anik was uh, found negative and he was kind of in a different case than um, Gordon and the rest. Um, Felder was able to corner him and everything. He was able to get to Abu Dhabi. Um, All in all, it all kind of fell into place, but it was such a rough path getting there that you had to... uh, you definitely, like, I was sitting there kind of even still on the edge of my seat a little bit. Like, I already knew what happened. Yeah, it was but, a roller coaster of an episode. And really, it continues on from there because then we get the entire uh, kind of, like, <clears throat> breakdown of, like, the, the main card of that event. Um, there's a lot about the technical side here, which I really appreciated how Dana was really disappointed in kind of the technical production behind this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just did, it seemed like the crew wasn't on their game. Maybe it's just because, I mean, it wasn't like he was blaming any single person. There was a lot of people doing things that were not co- common for them. Yeah, like they just weren't jobs. normal. Yeah. So you see like audio hiccups. Um, you see, like, he was talking about the, the thing that people are making fun of on Twitter, the graphic of Amanda Rebus. Yeah, yeah. Being 101. Yeah. And, like, the one guy even tried to make a joke. He's like, wow, Hunter of Career Fights. He goes, take that fucking graphic off of there right now. Uh, so you could tell Dana's, like, it's interesting because I just assume he, like, sits there and watches the fights. That man is, like, 
he is like running the entire show with an iron fist. Yeah, he and has a hold on the entire production of these events. Yeah. And that's why like when you um if you ever see like the end of a pay-per-view or the end of a fight night and it runs, you know, the credits essentially Dana is the executive producer and we see why in this documentary. He's literally in charge of everything. Just because he's the president of the company doesn't mean he doesn't have a say in, oh, this graphic sucks, fix this. This audio bug's happening, fix this. Um, there was the thing where his sister texted him uh, some organization or, I don't know, TV program. Oh, was paper, pay, pay-per-view provider. Yeah, they were selling the event for like $655 or something. <laughs> and he's yeah, like, like, what is going on? Yeah, it's just wild how he has a total yes. grasp on all aspects of that company. Yeah, when his sister texts him, he's like, what the fuck? She's like, are you actually charging this much? He's like, no, I'm not charging this much. And then he's got to worry about, like, oh, my God, we're not going to sell pay-per-views now. People are going to see this and not buy. It was just, yeah, Yeah. it was wild. And it was a complete typo from the pay-per-view provider. Yeah. Just a complete fuck-up on their part. And, yeah, you can just sense, uh, Dana even says it. He goes, I just wanted this event to be put behind us. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like, I just wanted it to be behind us, so that way we had it in our back pocket. We said we did it, then we can move on. You can tell how stressful this was for him, and that's something that's really telling. Because for us, we were looking at it that night, like we were watching it together, as like a celebration, like yeah, you know, sport. You know, see, like back, our favorite sport. Yeah. yeah, our favorite sport is able to really hit the ground running more than any other. You know, the 249 did that a lot. In a lot of ways, it was able to, they were the first sport back. But 251 showed that globally, this this sport can yes. last through anything. Yes. So we're sitting there celebrating, and he's he's there in person, and he's just stressed out. Yeah, dude. And uh, they even talked about the Jan, Peter, uh, Peter Jan versus uh, Jose Aldo title fight, where... Uh, Aldo really got beat up in those later rounds and took an excessive amount of damage. So you see Dana being like, that ref should never be fucking allowed to ref again. It's just like, I just loved hearing Dana's little Dana-isms, really hearing <laughs> how he talks, like, as the card's going on. Um, you know, he's making comments. To, like, you get to see him um, in the main event when ultimately Masvidal kind of gets dominated by Usman. Uh, you see... Dana and Masvidal talking, and Jorge's like, just give me six weeks, man. Yeah. He said, let me get one more win. I know I can beat this guy. Dana's like, whenever you're ready, call us. Yeah. And that's I was ex- like, yeah. damn, I was kind of surprised. I was like, they're, they're really showing, like, you know, just some stuff here. And um, even in the Holloway, he seemed to really like the Holloway Volkanovsky fight. I uh, was talking about how they were throwing and shit. So, um, all in all, you can tell that by the end, it was a it was a night to be proud of. But there was so many, there was so much along the way. Like just what a just stressful and just action packed day, I guess. Yeah, they had their fair share of fires to put out. It kind of uh, as you're watching this, you're like, man, this seems like it was <clears throat> this long drawn out month long just stress and. Who's positive? Who's negative? Blah blah blah. This all happened in like the matter of like three days. Like I cannot fathom 
the amount of stress and just intangibles that they all had to deal with. It's crazy. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I mean, I knew that it had to be a lot of stress, but I figured once the event was going on, it was like, all right, they made it. Yeah. But, or even a couple of days before, but it was anything but that. You know, there was just, because uh, I believe, uh, didn't Dana got news during the broadcast of 251 about, um, was it Joseph Benavidez that, uh, it was about Davison. Uh, so right. Davison yeah, so Tigiedo um, had tested positive for COVID. Now, again, this is in July. So at the time, <clears throat> he had tested positive, I think, in like May. So two months prior to him having to fight. And so he recovered and everything. But I guess with some people, the covid like virus can still show up in your system like three months after the fact that it's actually gone and you're like not contagious anymore so as 251 is going on his championship fight the very next week or week after i don't remember like the days but uh, was in jeopardy and it was already a fight that had controversy the first time between him and benavidez so it's like oh shit because we can't just put together another flyweight title fight. So that <laughs> happened in the middle of UFC 251, which I guess kind of leads us into episode three. But um, if yeah, you have anything I'll let else you about two. If you want to paint the picture for episode three, just kind of, you know, give your kind of general thoughts and kind of the main points. Yeah, so, um, and again, at the end of episode two, we also start seeing, uh, this was honestly like, this is the uh, hopeless romantic in me coming out here on the MMA podcast. <laughs> but we got to see that um, toward the end of episode two, they started showing that backstory between Megan O'Leavy, who is UFC commentator, interviewer, everything, um, and her husband, Joseph Benavides, who is uh, scheduled to fight Benavides, or Figueiredo for the flyweight title that next week. So they do a really good job of showing us their relationship together. Um, and that leads into episode three as well. And then Davison's issues with testing positive, And then how are they going to get him to fight Island? Um, Josh Gordon, was his actual fight took place in episode three, I think? Yeah, it was. But you're, or I, actually, it might have been. Or the, yeah, it was episode three. I think, I, it yeah. was, I think. So we got to. You met Jared Gordon. Or, yeah, I'm sorry. What said I say? Josh Gordon. Oh, yeah, that's uh, NFL <laughs> wide receiver. Sorry. Jared Gordon. Uh, yeah. If I've said that earlier in the prog- podcast as well, I apologize. Uh, Jared Gordon. I don't think you did. I think that was the only time. Um, so we get to see his fight in episode three. We get to see how Paul Felder literally goes from commentating to cornering him, which is so cool. And it was so cool to see live, like, that night. Um, and then to kind of see, like, the backstage, what went on. He's he's gets, gets back there with his suit and tie on, and he's – amping up jared and yelling and let's like let's effing go and you can do this and blah 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 um and then ultimately jared's able to get the decision victory and was honestly what was a pretty dominant performance by him after that first round um so that was great to kind of see him and then after he wins um we see him get to facetime his girl back home and just you kind of see like all these terrible times 
that they had went through together, losing, you know, the miscarriage of their baby, and she was positive for COVID. He's going through all this stress in Vegas and Abu Dhabi. And then it turns out that on that phone call, when he's telling her, like, or she watched the fight, and I, that's a cool part actually, too. They had a camera back home with his fiance, so we got to watch her live reactions to his fight. And when they FaceTime at the end, she actually gets to tell him the good news that she is no longer positive for COVID. So that was a really cool way to wrap up that storyline with Jared and kind of put that, you know, away to go into the other characters and people. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are and kind of how they went about that Jared part. Yeah, um, I thought it was cool having his uh, girlfriend or fiance or um, whatever on on screen to kind of watch his fight. I guess I will say it was a little bit like, I don't know, like I don't know if I needed to see her reaction to like most of the fight. Um, I, I Like again, I'm not gonna, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm just saying it like it, it, it came off a little awkward cause it was kind of done over like some sort of Zoom call or something. Um, or like that was like the quality I should say. I know she was recording herself, but it was just, I don't know, I guess it was a little awkward the way it was done. But all in all, you get to see this couple that have been through so much, yeah. still going through so much at that time, have, like, at least that night, at least that moment of, like, peace and of, like, a just a high for them. Yeah, it probably just felt like the weight of the world was, like, taken off their shoulders just for that one night just to to breathe and celebrate the good times through all of the bad then really that was kind of the the whole episode here and that's what was so beautiful about it or the whole documentary yeah yeah i completely agree um you saw some things going wrong for jared gordon i don't know if this was in this episode or episode two but his sauna bag thing yeah the weight cutting and yeah so they had to just do like the old fashioned like bathtub and stuff like that. So it made his weight cut a lot harder. Um, so you could just see that like this guy had just had, he even was being talked to by one of the crew members and they were just like, yo, how you doing? He's like, well, I did this. He's like, this happened, this happened. He's like, everybody I know has COVID. I nearly gave the president of the company COVID. He's like, my weight cut was harder than it needed to be. He's like, so yeah, it's been a pretty interesting week, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, he was really like, I mean, they focused on him for the majority of this documentary. Yeah, he was a big part of it. I think it was um, a good thing to show. You also saw guys show up. Go ahead. Oh, God. I was just going to say, you also saw guys like uh, Hamzat show up in this episode, I believe. Yep. Um, I love that line. Where he says, uh, oh, what's he say when he's on the beach? He's like, uh, drinking the coconut. He's like, this is, he's like, he's like, he's like, I, he's like, I give, I take fights, I smash, and I drink coconuts. <laughs> on the this beach. is the life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you see, like, you see Alexander Gustafson for a second. What um, was the other fighter the, that they begin to highlight in this episode? I might have to look him up. Oh, um, he's from the yeah, uh, might, UAE region. I'm going to have to look him up. Yeah. Yeah, you will, because that's definitely someone we're going to want to talk about. Um, but I thought it was pretty funny seeing Paul Felder try to figure out how to say Hamzat's name. 
because they spent a solid five minutes on just him trying to figure out how to say Hamzat Chimaev. Right. Even when they were getting ready to do like the pre-fight show, he goes, so it's Haz, it's Hazmat or something like that. And they're like, no, it's Hamzat. He goes, <laughs> he starts like arguing with one of the backstage people. He's like, yeah. you just told me it was Hazmat. Yeah, that and was a like, really funny part where he was with John Anik yeah. and he's like, so oh, wait, he's like, how do you say this fucker's name? Like, It, it was really funny. Yeah. Um, uh, did you get the name of the yeah. fighter? I forgot his name. Uh, Munir Lazez. Laziz Lazez? Yeah. Um, so the backstory on this guy, I'll just give that and I'll let you take it from what they show in the documentary. The backstory, the reason why this guy was kind of hyped up, not just because he's from the UAE region, this uh, story is awesome Dana, that you're about to tell. <laughs> yeah, so apparently Dana was out to eat with uh, his son and some of his son's friends. And one of his son's friends kept basically the whole night just being like, Dana, you need to give check this guy out, give him a fight, Munir Laziz. Like, he's amazing. I guess he had been lighting the world on fire in that region. Um, and Dana basically yeah. booked him in a fight based on a minors yeah. borderline minors suggestion yeah which is just really and they didn't do a better job of explaining it but it was really cool that dana could just be like sure this kid can know something that i don't about yeah. this guy from the uae so i'll let you take it as far as what is what they show with him in this episode yeah so they begin um as they kind of stray away from jared and lead into other fighters munir takes center stage or one of the you know center stages for the rest of the documentary outside of a few others that we'll mention and so they mention how how dana signed him um and then also munir had been separated from his family for nearly i think so again this is in july he hadn't seen his family since march uh, or maybe even sooner than that because his wife and child or his son, rather, traveled to Italy to see her family. And literally the week that they were scheduled to fly back home to the UAE was when the country shut down. And for those that don't know, I mean, really every country shut down essentially in some sort of way. But Italy got hit really hard very early on in that March time frame. So they were very strict. No leaving the country, no leaving like to go outside and do whatever else. And so his family right. is trapped, and he's all by himself, you know, meanwhile getting ready to fight in the biggest fight of his life on the national, international stage. Um, so they did a really good job of painting him um, as a father as a and as a family like man. A, and I think... They did a good job of showing sympathy for... Get, you, you, get, you feel sympathy for him and his family. Yeah, the, the best part about this whole thing there's so many great pieces but with them focusing on so many fighters and like their backstories and what it took to get where they are it really just showed and again painted the picture um what it is to be a fighter and like the life of these fighters like for some people that don't watch the sport or whatever they're like oh it's just barbaric and they go out there and punch each other and they bleed and they body slam each other and all this stuff but it's like you look at a show like this, and you're like, oh, they've got a family. They've got kids. They're fighting their own demons. They fought their demons in the past, and they've overcome them. They're, you know, 
living their dream. This is their dream. People have their dreams of what they want to do, and this is theirs, and this is their biggest opportunity. And it was just laid out so perfectly from Jared Gordon to Munir to Davis and Figueiredo, which we'll get more into, um, Carla Esparza, Megan Olivia, and Joseph Benavidez, like so many different stories all kind of showing like this is the life of a fighter and they're more than just some dude or some woman that goes into a cage and punches people for a living and that was like so beautiful to me i i don't know i what are your kind of thoughts i guess on that kind of way that they went about showing this through these four episodes yeah man um you know it's one of those things where you watch these guys fight. You know, we both watched Jared Gordon's fight. We both watched Munir Lazdi's fight. And they both have put on great performances. We knew somewhat of the background. You know, for Gordon, we knew watching that fight, his whole corner was out. Paul Felder was brought in, the only guy in his corner. You knew he had to have been having a hectic week. On Munir's end, um, we knew the backstory of Dana. Uh, giving him a fight essentially from his son's friend recommendation. But when you watch this and you're able to see how much more layers they are to these guys' stories as they're getting ready to fight, um, it was star-making in a way. Yeah. Much like uh, how Tuesday Night Contender or The Ultimate Fighter has been used to build up guys. Yeah, and they show like you know, their backstories and how, what they went through to get here. Yeah, I 100% agree. This documentary completely did that. It 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 was a star making documentary for Jared Gordon and Manuel Laziz. It in a lot of ways it was, which is just so rare to get something like that in a sports documentary. Yeah, where typically you focus on the stars, right? So you know, I was expecting a ton of Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, yeah, or a ton of. Um, even if you want to go like, I don't know, a ton of Max Holloway. Yeah, Paige Van Zandt was on the card, you know. Paige like, Van Zandt. Yeah. I was expecting a ton of those like big name fighters. And you get a little bit yeah, with yeah. each of them, but not nearly the amount. You get three episodes worth with Jared Gordon. And then um, for Muneer, he's a huge part of this episode three. And it makes sense. Yeah. Like, I love that they kind of use this time to really build up a couple guys that do have that backstory that you want to root for. Yeah. So I cannot speak any higher to the quality. That was probably my biggest positive about this documentary. It, You know, going into it, I worried it could be a little too self-congratulatory. And at times it, it treaded that line. You know, I spoke about the high-fiving before it's really over. Um, however, the biggest positive here is that they really use this time to not just say, oh, UFC is amazing. We did all the, look at what we did. That was so amazing. It was, here are the, the people that went through this and really like persevered in the end, you know? Yes. One million. Percent. And it, it was just, uh, I think that's just a perfect way to kind of do this kind of documentary. And the UFC, to their credit, has always, they have always 
been willing to invest in a new star. Yeah. They've never been a company that focuses solely on the, the you know, like uh, we're WWE guys, right? Yeah. You know, we go way back with WWE. Have you ever noticed, like, with WWE, you know, you have these aging stars. Like, right now you have guys like The Undertaker, Kane, John Cena's getting older. Um, you know, these big-name guys that carried the company for years. Triple H, another one. Um, and it seems like they, they aren't ready to commit to kind of their newer guys of today. They continue to give these big uh, big matches to guys like The Undertaker who are barely able to walk anymore and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, they the essentially UFC, they ride them till the wheels fall off, you know, and yeah. then and they I, and, look and to I know others. it's different. Right. I know it's different. You know, one is scripted and more of a performance while one is an actual fight. So fighting is not a old man's game by any means. But it's just very telling that you know, just because a guy isn't a star, Munir Laziz is relatively unknown. Jared Gordon, even more so, relatively unknown. Yeah. And yet they're given the spotlight. an hour and a half. Yeah. A half hour to an hour, hour and a half to shine. Yeah. And I, that's fantastic, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. 100%. So I guess that'll lead us into episode four. And um, this is, uh, this. get your tissues ready. Yeah, I'm going to probably shed a tear here. So we've talked a few times about um, this fight. <laughs> and this fight being Joseph Benavidez versus Davidson Figueredo to for the flyweight title. And we had talked about how this fight was essentially a horror movie. Yeah. Because it was. Well... We got our <laughs> we got our horror movie in this episode. Yeah, because the focus of this episode is basically solely on, for the majority of it, it's solely on this fight. Yeah, Davison versus uh, Joe B. Now I'll, I'll let you kind of take over if you want to hit some highlights and whatnot. Yeah, again. So as I kind of mentioned earlier. At the end of episode two, and more so in episode three. Um, for those of you that don't know, Megan O'Levy and Joseph Benavidez are married, and which is awesome. Like the ultimate MMA power couple, by the way. I think Dana even like said something like that in the documentary. Um, but we've never really seen like, yeah, I follow Megan O'Levy on Instagram, and I see her and him traveling the world, and you know, going to all these restaurants and them watching movies at home on Instagram stories and stuff. You know, it's it's cool to see the life behind the scenes. But then in this documentary, they really just like how they got together and how they are each other's anchors and how I feel like I'm going into a love story podcast. This is an MMA podcast, <laughs> but like... I mean, hey, they do a, a very effective job. Yeah, and they really just show that the love and the support that those two have with one another in both of their career endeavors with just so happen to intertwine perfectly, which is awesome. Mm, um, my ideal relationship, you know, just shameless plug down the road. But uh, not me getting... being a fighter, though, because I get my ass kicked. But you get what I'm saying. And um, so they really did a good job at painting that picture for them. I'm really stealing your line a lot this episode. 
Um, and then we see, you know, the fight begins to take place, and Megan is basically sick to her stomach. Like, can't be in there, does not want to be in the arena to watch. So she's in the, um, like, outside area walking around with one of the other UFC um, employees. They're, like, really good friends. And she's basically getting... I think she was, like, listening to the broadcast because, like, she'd be like, oh, Joseph just got hurt, and she'd freak out, and, oh, he's got back up, and she would get excited and, um, you know, doing her prayers, and just, it was so cool to see, like, you really don't see the significant other of a fighter during their fight. Um, so they did it with Jared's fiance, and then they did it here with Megan. Megan really, like, hit home, like, the heart strings there especially because joe lost and um she just kind of again that whole they're not just fighters like this life outside of the cage and it affects not just them like yeah they're in there losing and they're it's affecting them the most but like their families their friends their wives their kids so they did a really good job of that ultimately joe loses you know megan's obviously heartbroken but immediately rushes into the arena gets right cage side to be by joe's side um which is beautiful there's many great pictures and videos of them and joe has that really heart-to-heart conversation with his cornerman that was like really tough to hear and like how he did everything right he felt everything was perfect and just couldn't get the job done so it's like what do i gotta do and again it's like what goes on in the minds of these fighters? And you see it here with Joe. Like, he thought everything was perfect. And even on your your best days, it still might not be enough. Um, that's kind of like the perfect way to describe their portion of the episode. Again, leave it up to you to kind of finish your thoughts on that portion. Yeah, I mean, you, you did a great job uh, talking about it there. Basically, um it was brutal to rewatch it. Uh, I'll say it. it especially from this especially, perspective. Uh oh, did we lose you again? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay, it just maybe it was delayed. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. Uh, it 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 was so much more brutal. I think this time because you get the build up, you get to see them before the fight. You know how excited they are. Um, because ultimately they think they're going to walk away with the belt, you know. And that just doesn't end up being the case. And not only that, but it to see Joe be beaten so brutally, it, it really added another layer to what was already such a just hard fight to really watch. Right. And it adds another layer to it when you see this happy couple know talking to you know they it's not like they're overconfident that they're going to win it's just you see them at their you know they're excited to be at abu dhabi you know megan even says she's like i'm glad joe gets this experience here because it's amazing um you can tell how excited he is and then ultimately the fight happens and it's pretty brutal i will say if there was one positive to this uh, sequence it's that Megan was not watching the fight she was outside right because of how nervous and, and how much anxiety it was given her so 
if there's one silver lining, that would be it, I would say. Yeah. But you get to see her, them two comforting each other afterwards. Um, I think it's, uh, was it Michael Bisping that talked to Joe? Yes, on the, on the bus. The I'm glad bus. you mentioned that. That's a very good little snippet that's in, uh, in that Yeah, episode. just just Bisping, like, showing that he's actually, like, not just an asshole all the time. <laughs> and Joe being like, you know, it's the fight game, man. That's that's the fight game. You know, it's you can tell that they're just trying to basically pick each other up. But, um, I do think what was more revealing than this was Davis inside of it. Yes, yes. Because ultimately, when you have such a sympathetic character and Joseph Benavidez and Megan O'Reilly, people you want to root for, the person they're facing, Davison, would typically kind of be like the villain. The bad right? guy, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure to many he still is, just because, you know, not with any actual malintent, just more so because he beat up and ran through someone's possible favorite fighter. Understandable, you know. But I want to talk about the scene with his grandpa. Yeah, this how, is incredible. Uh, I'll let you give the details on it, but it was probably the closest I came to really tearing up in this. Yeah, this the few one... times um, that I almost did. This one was right up there, like that kind of like knot in your throat you know, that you get and you're like trying to hold it in and you can feel the water starting in your eyes. So Davison's grandfather had passed away earlier that year, I believe in May. And again, this fight was in July. So Davison ultimately wins the highest point of his career, right? He already beat Joe once, but there was controversy. He didn't make weight, but now he does it as legit as possible in even more convincing fashion. And he gets home to Brazil. He has the belt around his waist. They throw this massive parade for him. Um, the whole country kind of comes around. I don't know if anybody's seen, like, kind of the, um, what Jan Blachowicz has been getting in Poland. Like, times that by a million for, like, the Brazilian fans really cherish and, like, love mixed martial arts. So when they have their champ, you know, Amanda Nunes, another one who they've, they've done this for. Big parade through the streets. People are all over the the roads and the sides and everything. And then the parade comes to an end. And he goes to the graveyard where his grandfather is. And he said he always wanted to put the belt, like, around his waist. And he doesn't get to do that. So he, he gets to the grave, takes the belt off. And, you know, lays it right there by the grave, kneels down, prays, and just breaks down. And then I, of course, began to nearly break down watching this. Like, it was a very... It's like making me... Yeah. It's making me get misty-eyed just talking Yeah, about it's it. a very, like, beautiful, somber moment. And again, like, for the millionth time, it uh, just shows you that other aspect of this fighter lifestyle and, like what they go through that we don't see. Like, we see them cutting the promos, talking that trash on the stage, pounding people's faces in, and then you go back to this moment here where his lifetime goal had been achieved and that one person he had always wanted to share it with was not there. And that's what really was, like, so touching about this 
moment in particular uh, for that episode, and like it kind of just all came full circle there. I think for uh, Davison. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, to go off your point about that other side of the fighter lifestyle, this really showcases them as human beings, not yeah. just fighters, not yeah. just prize fighters. Yeah, you know, the term that's been used for centuries. These are real people at the end of the day with real lives, with real problems uh, that can affect their performance. You know, uh, I think me and you can probably speak to some of the times in our you know, work history, the days when we had really bad nights, didn't get a lot of sleep or whatever, really bad mornings. It probably did affect our job performance. So you see that kind of element of it's not always just who the better fighter is. So, you know, you have these guys with you have guys going through legitimate trauma yeah and they're being asked to step in and fight another man and it, it can be quite the challenge obviously because not only are you fighting someone else you have to make weight uh you have to be willing to quarantine for multiple weeks you have to be willing to fly on a plane for sometimes over 15 hours so if anything this just really showed at its most extreme case what that fighter lifestyle is and um, it was really just this episode really this was it was either episode two or four that was my favorite uh episode two. four really did like the perfect job of wrapping it all up and kind of like that ending moment of like they did it but not without all the bumps in the road along the way yeah i uh, completely agree and like this one, episode four was definitely the most uh, emotional. Episode yeah. two probably had the biggest, uh, most action-packed, biggest shock value, I guess. Um, take your pick there. But all in all, I think we can just kind of finally... Did you have any final thoughts kind of on the, the rest of the episode, or is that pretty much... Um. It. Yeah, I mean, they touched on, like, a couple other athletes. Not really as much. I do just want to give their little shout-out and credit where it's due. They touched a little bit on the Carla Esparza and Marina Rodriguez fight, which, again... Yeah, they did. Um, former strawweight champ in Carla, but for Marina, another kind of, like... Yeah, she's a prospect and, like, up-and-comer. She's ranked. But, again, you kind of just... You got to learn more about them. That It wasn't as personal for these two. But it was just cool, like like you mentioned, it wasn't all about the superstars. And I think I just, you know, just to mention that part, and then if you, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that fight or, like, their feature, but just wanted to mention it. But other than that, like, that was kind of all of episode four. Yeah, uh, good, good on you for mentioning that uh, fight, like how they kind of broke that down, too. Um, I'm curious, like, what if they followed other people around and it was either that their stories weren't as interesting or if the fights didn't go the way that they were hoping they would, so they just kind of scrapped it. Right. That's a good um, point. I'm very curious if that, if that had, a, had a part in this. But um, all in all, that is... Oh, go ahead. One more thing, and it's actually just because um, the, as the day we're recording this, um, Megan O'Leavy had a like a press uh, uh, media scrum, and they actually, uh, I think it was actually John Morgan from MMA Junkie asked her, um, you know, they did a good job of highlighting you and Joe, 
and the uh, documentary. Um, what did you think when you watched it? And they actually, or she at least, Megan has not went back and watched this. Um, she essentially said, like, you know, it was great to share our story and be a part of it, but I have no need to go back and watch that because it was ultimately the worst day in our lives. But then she goes back to the point of, you know, that day was awful, it sucked, but at the end of the day, we have our friends, we have our family, we have our health. And so, like, regardless of that, life is great, and so there's just no need for me to go back and dwell on that. So I just wanted to mention that just because it happened the day we're recording this, and we went really in-depth on kind of their spotlight of this documentary. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you brought that up as well. Uh, I did not uh, see that yet. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, all in all, that is Fight Island Declassified on ESPN Plus right now, four-part series. Um, we loved it. I think that's the best way to put it. Yes. Was there any? Was there ever any doubt? True. I I was very I excited mean, from the rip, just because like this whole Fight Island thing was so special from a fan perspective, and then just to get to see all the, you know, they didn't have to share like as much as they did. So that was really cool of the UFC to share that with us. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, that's a five out of five stars for me if I'm giving it a rating. I know we're not like a movie review channel, but, you know, maybe every now and again. Yeah. No, I I really – I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a great watch. Um, Highly recommend to anybody who is obviously a fan of UFC or mixed martial arts in general – and I would even go as far to say I recommend it to anybody who even isn't. Um, I think it's just a very interesting piece that yeah. talks about kind of the personal lives of these fighters and goes into detail about Fight Island. I think it's just a very interesting watch for anybody. But that's it. So, Dom, tell the people where they can find you on social media. But first... I forgot the preview the next couple months. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> so, Friday. Oh, they ain't ready uh, for this. The, oh. Hey. Oh, they, yeah. They ain't, I'm not Friday. even ready for this. <laughs> we are previewing hashtag UFC Fight Island 6, headlined by one of the most exciting fights. Of 2020. Uh, yeah, for especially this division. The Korean Zombie. Chan Sung Jung is fighting T-City Brian Ortega uh, in some ways could be a title eliminator um, this fight is incredible and I cannot wait to break this down with you um, co-mained by basically a number one contenders match potentially for uh, women's flyweight as Caitlin Chukagian who just fought for the title back in February, March She's going to be going up against uh, Jessica Andrade, the former strawweight champion who's making the move up the flyweight for her first time. So that's already a pretty stacked card just there in itself. But we're going to break down the rest of the main card along with those two fights, give our thoughts. And then Monday, we will recap those set fights that will happen on Saturday. Um, You can watch them on ESPN Plus as well. Now, Dom... 
Let them know. Where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at dsalee14. And as of today, you can find our podcast on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. The Below Average Joe's MMA podcast has infiltrated Twitter.com, okay? And it's going to be a damn good account to follow, so you want to make sure you're there. We have uh, changed up our Instagram name so that Twitter and Instagram, both of our ats, are the exact same thing. Um, Twitter is now also on our link tree, which Noah will touch on. But the at for both our podcast, Twitter and Instagram, is at B-A-J... So abbreviation for Below Average Joes, B-A-J underscore M-M-A podcast. Nice. And for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram, at Baker underscore, you'll be taken to our link tree, which will provide you with links to all of these social medias we just mentioned, as well as every platform we're on that you can listen to the podcast. So go on there there will be a link if you want to become a contributor to the podcast just if you want to offer a few dollars a month that we can put back into the podcast to essentially become a video podcast or uh, just for us to improve the the quality of it audio equipment whatever it may be Um, that's just a way for you to help us out that way Um, there's links to the Spotify uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, YouTube channel, Instagram. I'm assuming you'll be putting the Twitter on there. Yep, Twitter is now, as of tonight, officially on the link tree as well. Awesome. Those are all on there. And then, of course, Anchor. Shout out to Anchor. We love some um, Anchor. If you go, and if you go to our Anchor page, you will find links to a multitude of other smaller platforms that we are on. Um, so if you happen to listen to any of those, you can find that there. Again, that's on my bio at ntbaker underscore. With that, we're out, and we're going to see y'all on Friday.